720 WGN. Haven't heard that song in a minute. Well, welcome to the Saturday Night Special. I'm Amy Good. So, in a given week, social media ebbs and flows with news of the day, both local and national. Some stories huge and complicated. Some stories small and straightforward. Some difficult to stomach. Some heartwarming. Some international. Some extremely local. This week... That extremely local social media was alight with a story with very, very local appeal and with a subject we don't hear much about. Two birds, extremely rare and highly endangered birds that are federally protected. That is the Great Lakes piping plover, though many birders would argue that it's plover, have nested at Montrose Beach. Not nested as in they're hanging out there, but it nested as in they built a nest, laid an egg or two, and with any luck, there are baby birds on the way. Now, before you non-bird people start groaning and turning off your radios, consider this. Birds have always been our biological barometers. From the proverbial canary in a coal mine to migration patterns guiding us to understand climate change, environmental change, noise pollution, and even the changing of seasons, birds are tells. In the U.S. alone, nearly 40% of native bird species are declining in population. And that matters because birds are so sensitive to environmental change that monitoring bird population is an important tool for ecologists to use to measure overall environmental health. And on the flip side, when ecosystems are managed for agricultural health, wildlife, water, even tourism, success can be measured by the health and diversity of bird populations. And on some level, we know this deeply. As Cy Montgomery, author of Birdology, wrote, All birds, of course, are miracles, and humans have known this for millennia. We've looked to birds as oracles. Our hearts soar on their wings and their songs. Even the tiniest bird can teach us that life is larger than humankind alone. So this bird couple setting up house or nest, as the case may be, on the north side is not just a feel-good story. It's a cue to check in and see about the environmental health and changing ecological picture of our region to take its pulse, if you will, and meet people doing work for the health and well-being of our city, conserving its natural resources, and doing fascinating projects with local agency to make sure local birds, and certainly local humans, have a safer, cleaner environment for a long time to come. Tonight, we'll hear from someone doing just such work at Audubon Great Great Lakes, another doing work in soil conservation through Chicago Park Districts, and we have a special guest co-host tonight working to restore local natural habitats and the creatures and plants that inhabit them. So tonight's theme is is conservation in Chicago, part of our month-long look at environmental issues and showcasing the work of people in our communities doing good work to preserve nature right here at home. We'll be right back to get things underway and meet tonight's guest co-host right here on 720 WGN. 720 WGN. It's Amy Guth here on the Saturday Night Special. Esteemed producer Marcia Lyles is in there with all the hits from the Wayback Machine tonight. Kudos to you, madam. Nice. I haven't heard this song in a minute. Well, so tonight we're continuing our month-long conversation about environmental issues. As you recall, last month we were talking with folks at uh, zoos and aquariums who are doing cool conservation-y things and a guy who made an aquarium on wheels because who doesn't need that? It, uh, it works in a, uh, medical settings. He takes it into children's hospitals, things like that. Well, so tonight we are keeping our, our focus very local and we're talking about, talking with rather, people doing really cool conservation efforts right here in Chicago. And we have a special guest 
co-host tonight because that's my favorite thing to do. When it's a topic that requires expertise, I'm like, I'm going to bring in a smart person. We're going to just learn together, listeners, dear. So we have Rob Telfer with us tonight. He works in the Adult Education Center of the Morton Arboretum. Welcome. Hi. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. You've been a guest on the show a couple times. I have. People will know your voice. I yeah, think. I'm, everyone knows my everyone. voice. Everyone. I feel like last time we were, you were here, we talked a bit about bees. We did. Quite a bit. Yeah. And I learned quite a bit from you, as, as all listeners did. Um, <laughs> so tell us about the work that you do at, at uh, Morton Arboretum. Well, at the Morton Arboretum specifically, I help uh, coordinate the 400 or so classes that they teach a year. Um, on various topics, a lot of them have to do with things like horticulture and gardening, which I also love. Uh, but they also have a lot of natural resources and natural history classes and ecology classes. And so I help uh, put those on. Actually, uh, one of our guests tonight is part of a program that I'm doing later uh, that's going to be a debate about who should be the new state bird. I love this. Yes. So it's going to be between Doug Stotts from the Field Museum and Stephanie uh, Belke from Audubon Great Lakes. And Doug is going to be arguing for the uh, red-headed woodpecker, and okay. that should be our state bird. And Stephanie is going to be arguing for the bobolink. What is the current state bird? I don't even know. You don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's the cardinal. I'm not about borders, man. I'm just into Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I can't be Well, that's, that, that, that's why... Uh, that's the, that's what the birds would say as well. You know, they they go all they over. They can't be bothered with state lines no. and issues like that. Yeah, okay, or so even it, country lines. What are what is the main argument these two are making for? Oh, I don't know. Oh, you don't. I assume they'll be very smart. Um, you know, they're they're uh, very well respected. Um, and I will be arguing as the incumbent, uh, as the cardinal. I see. And at the end of the night, we'll have a vote about who should be the new state bird. And you can do write-ins too if you think like you know. Big Bird is a better choice. You know someone's going to do that. Yeah. Anytime oh, always, you yeah, throw yeah. things to the internet, <laughs> that's what happens. Remember the Bodie McBoatface thing yeah. that happened? That's that's what happens when you throw <laughs> things to the internet to decide. Bodie McBoatface would be a great state bird. <laughs> it's a great bird. Really majestic. Yeah. So um, that's coming up. Give mm-hmm. us the date again for that. Uh, July, we'll say 17th, um, but you can check Morton arb.org slash education for that and all the other classes we teach. And for those of you who follow me on Twitter after the program, I'm going to be tweeting out links from tonight mm-hmm. and we'll also have them at WGN Radio uh, for the podcast page that will be up a little bit later so you can catch all these links. So no worries about scribbling furiously. I'm sure everyone is. I'm sure they are. They, they have their, their trapper keepers out. I will say though, when I don't tweet links out, people are like, hey, hey, could you hey, could you say the thing? You were going to say a thing. Could you go ahead and tweet that? You, you promised me a link about this one thing. So if I forget one thing, people are on it. People keep me honest that way. So I appreciate Great. that. Um, but the reason we are, so we've been talking about this all month. It's all about environmental issues, which is something that uh, comes up a lot on my show. Mm. Uh, I decided to focus them all this month. But but in particular, we're, we're talking about birds, which is kind of a broader conversation about habitat and, and its health. Because there's really interesting news, as I mentioned in the mm, monologue. Mm-hmm. There's these two rare birds that, uh, if you have not seen a picture of them, I'll tweet that out, too. They're very beautiful little birds. Birds tweet. That's good. Um, oh, I didn't even set that up like that. <laughs> yes. Next time. Next time. I'll do, we'll fix I'll, it in post. I'll go there more intentionally. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, these two birds have settled at, at, uh, at Montrose Harbor. And now there's this great deal of consternation around keeping this area of the parking lot free and clear yeah. and making sure no one bothers these birds. Now I'm all worried about them. Oh, yeah. Okay, so... Well, bri- no, this is not even, like, the 
the scary part. Well, there's many scary parts, but it's like it's roped off and there's people watching him around the clock. Break the bird thing down for us. Okay, so I'll explain it as best I can. Um, I haven't been out there yet, but... We're going to talk more with Stephanie. Stephanie and Lauren a bird have both expert, been out there, yeah. Because yeah. um, the park district is helping manage that yes. site. So uh, the story goes, as I understand it, uh, Monty and Rose... Uh, because Montrose. Montrose. No, I think it's just a coincidence. Sure. Uh, so they, uh, Monty and Rose, uh, fell in love. Because uh, this bird mates for life. Yeah. I don't they know. They have their uh, their partner. Did bird. you Did you Google that? Is that a thing that you looked up? I did look it up, and it Good. it seemed to be the case, but not a really conclusive answer. But we'll m- more these more two so. are gonna. It's gonna work. These two are gonna. I have a quick bird story for you. Sure. A few years ago, when WGM Radio was still over at Tribune Tower, mm, I was RIP that thing. We can see it from here, and the back end of it is torn off, so don't, don't, you, you cannot see it. So okay. there's that. Don't. Just it's, don't. it's ugly. It is. Yeah. So it's going to be great when it's done. The shops sure, at Tribune sure. Tower and the Million Dollar Condos are going to be great. And you know what? It cushioned the blow to move over here to a very beautiful studio. So oh, yeah. it's all good. It's we all, have a beautiful view. I saw a bird. Just now. Just they now. fly by all the time. Yeah. So one night I was leaving, and in the parking lot there was a, a big puddle, and there was a, a pigeon with a hurt wing. And uh, another pigeon was standing there nudging her to the water. It was the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I um, called the bird hotline for when there's oh, a yeah. hurt bird. Called the bird hotline. They were great. We're going to be right there. So I went and got a recycle bin that was empty, like a little tiny plastic mm-hmm, garbage mm-hmm. can. And I gently picked her up and put her in there so she wouldn't hurt herself more. The other bird was so concerned about her well-being. He was really worried about it and, like, looking and flapping up on me and trying to look at in the in the bin to make sure. I was like, that's adorable. Look at this adorable bird situation we have here. Well, what if actually the reason that bird was injured is because the first bird was trying to eat it? I mean, and I you took just... its meal from it. So it's like, <laughs> hey, that's mine. You're not going to eat all of that, are you? Uplifting. <laughs> Pigeons Maybe... aren't cannibals. Uh, who knows? I don't think they are. Anyway, uh, the pigeon made it. Uh, oh, really? She made it because I got a call the next day, and they're like, "Thanks so much for doing that." And they, they took the pigeon to Willowbrook. I don't remember where it was. It was a suburb. And, yeah, and before Island, yeah. before she took the bird, she showed me how, hey, if you next time you find a bird with a broken wing, here's how you can wrap it with an ace bandage Aww. so it doesn't hurt itself more. It was really interesting. I, I saved a bird. Okay. I called the same folks, the bird collision, Chicago yeah. bird collision monitors, which anyone can call if they see a, a bird that's hurt. Um, they're a great volunteer group who will come and take that bird from you and do their best to keep them alive. Uh yeah, it's all volunteers. Yeah, like yeah. a random person. Yeah, will pull oh up yeah. And be someone, like, someone called me back the and they're like, "I'll be right there with a net." And I was like, "I'm, on, I'm getting on my bike." Um, and so yeah, I, I found a Virginia rail in my neighborhood, which is a marsh bird that you would never see in Albany Park, uh, especially not in, in the middle of a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And it hit, hit a window, and so um, they coached me through it. I picked it up with the net. I put it in a box. I kept it safe and gentle, and then I drove it to. Willowbrook Wildlife uh, Rehab Center in Glen Ellen, Illinois. Did the bird make it? Unclear. Uh, no, it didn't. It, it didn't. did not. Oh, poor bird. But it had a, I, I feel like it had a a happy. It, you gave it, it some other decline. Yeah, it was yeah. a good hospice, hospice. situation yeah, 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 that you yeah, gave yeah, the bird. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, <laughs> so back to the back to Montrose Harbor. So we're sure. at Montrose oh Harbor. Uh, we're at Montrose Harbor, and these two birds have been scoping it out for a while. And as I understand it, when they got there, there weren't a lot of people around. It was still chilly. So they're like, oh, this is, this is a nice place to raise a fam. So that was about May when they first kind of started showing up there? I heard that there was one hanging around. One of them was hanging around like last October. Okay. <laughs> Someone's going to correct me. I, I hope Stephanie's listening. Um, and so they, everyone's just staring at these birds around the clock. And um, 
it's uh they're like peeping toms and and they're like oh i i they made it six times today seven seven well that's y- the thing yesterday. so so there's a, a couple of publications that have like video up yeah. of the bird mating ritual and you're like i don't let me see that i we'll see them bumping pulikas yeah that's, that's their bird business their, i don't need to see business yeah or at least have like a warning nsfw yeah, you just, know just yeah, but the thing is about it is like just like the the guy just sort of like stands on the the lady's back sure. for a second, so it just looks like a fun little like it didn't go on circus for very long. trick. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, it's not rapturous. Uh, so they did that, and then um, two nights ago, Doug, who I mentioned earlier, who's an amazing uh, ornithologist, he tweets out that uh, an egg was laid. Okay, and so that means game on. Yeah, um, and they'll. Go. And the, their nest is kind of in the ground. It's not, we think of a nest being up in the tree. Oh, yeah, no. It's, it's down in the ground. That makes it much more precarious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really, str- I mean, they're endangered for a reason. And they're, they were down to almost none in the Great Lakes. Uh, and so this is, there are about 70 nesting pairs now in the Great Lakes. And, and this is one of them. And so they have an egg. They're going to probably lay three to four eggs. As far as, well, I'm going to keep saying as I understand it. because. Sure. Uh, my Google's as good as your Google. Fair enough. Um, but once they they do about one every two days, okay, one or two every day, uh, every two days, and um, when all the eggs are down, they the state is going to come in and put a cage around the nest. Well, that should go fine. Uh, with go a little like with doggy that. door, like a little pl- plover door. Okay. Um, and that is a thing that. Uh, because it is federally protected, like people have experience with this and Mm -hmm. um, hopeful that that will be a a good way to protect it. The stressful thing, so baby plovers are... So what, stop, why is there so much debate around how we say this? I feel like everyone was saying plover, but then there's a bunch of videos of people specifically saying, it's not plover, it's plover. Yeah. it's like, well, so... This is a radio host nightmare. We need to pronounce things right. I know, I know. <laughs> Doug, when I was talking to Doug about it, he's like Plover, and I mean, he has like a bird named after him. And so, I'm gonna go with that guy. Then. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I'm going and, Plover. And I was like, I heard it was Plover, and he's like, eh, it's whatever. So like, that's not uh, the point. Helpful. Is is that it's endangered, and there's a shot that there could be more suddenly. Yes. Um, so the babies. I mean, you, you had a lot of really good science facts in your monologue, but you didn't mention how a adorable they are which is very important um they're just little puff balls they're real cute and they're real cute and, they, and you gotta get video of them running on the beach uh because their their feet move so fast and they 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 can cover some good ground uh it's the best and they're so they're very very cute have you been to montrose beach yes i used to live very close to it I've have you seen how many uh families come through there 5k races so uh so many Fundraise, loud, loud music, uh, volleyball games. A lot of soccer games. Soccer. A lot of grilling. And the thing that's really stressful is, so there will be folks watching them, uh, but there are off-leash dogs all the time. Oh, it's not yeah. It's not part of the rules. Um, and so there was a guy uh, who, <laughs> this is before the, the plovers nested, um, he was bird watching at Montrose, and someone had an off-leash dog, and he was like, hey, just so you know, uh, Super endangered bird here. Yeah, or are many? You yeah. know, like like you're, this dog running around. You have a predator running around that's like terrorizing these birds. I understand that you love your dog and it has to be free. So he's talking to this guy, and the dog charges him. And uh, I won't 
say his name so I can protect his anonymity, but he had mace on him. Oh, he, no. He, so the, this birder maced the guy's dog. Uh, because he, I mean, like he was going to be attacked by this. Complicated yeah, for me morally. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, oh yeah, I love dogs. Uh, it was maybe not. It was maybe an overblown reaction, but who knows? That dog could have attacked him. It was off leash. That's the thing. If you, if it, if the dog was on its leash, none of this would have happened. And then the guy threw a rock at the other guy's head. Oh, and it was, it was just a uh, so the, that one story. I, it plays in my mind over and over again, like all the dog owners who won't understand why their dog has to be on a leash if they're just having a nice day at the beach. Uh, there are people who love cats, people love stray cats, uh, stray cats, and these babies are so cute and they're very edible. Um, you know, there's raccoons and rats and all kinds of things that uh, it, 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 it's going to be a challenge. So once they're hatched, that's going to be the hard part because those babies are going to be running around adorably. Okay, so once there are more eggs, then a cage goes over them. Yeah. And then uh, do they have to stay there? I mean, can they be moved to a different habitat or do so they have to I, stay right there? As I understand it. All questions it, for Stephanie. Yes. No, no, uh, no. Yeah, exactly. But as I understand it, they, um, if it's clear that once it's in the cage, it's still not safe. Like, we had a close call with a raccoon. Uh, a million joggers ran yeah. through the habitat that trampled the, the tiny little ribbon they have fencing it off. Um, they will take the eggs to a place where they can be incubated with scientists. And at... What I was told is it's kind of like a birdie NICU situation. So the parents can, like, watch the babies Aww. being incubated. Uh, and then when they're hatched, they'll, they'll be re-released. Well, you, you touched on something, though, that came up last week as we were talking with uh, some folks at the Oregon State Aquarium about the stuff they're doing to preserve uh, marine wildlife on the West Coast. They have some really unique... Uh, situations there, it, right in that spot of the West Coast, and so I was talking with one of uh, one someone from that um, organization, and she was talking about the there's such a specific protocol for when there is an endangered or a, a, any kind of marine wildlife that's in trouble. Mm -hmm. It's not just we'll go help them, and even you know a, a large mammal that has been beached or something like that. There's a whole level yeah. of things, and you have to assess it at every level. Do they appear in imminent danger with this one? Uh, one measure in place. Yes. Okay. Then we can go to measure two. Right. I get the sense it's about mitigating our interaction or mitigating. Not what, what I should say. I, mitigating interference with them. Well, do you remember that story about that that father and son who tried to save a baby bison in, oh, in and Yellowstone? Totally it, ruined it, it, it everything. Totally died. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah. And it's like, no, you shouldn't have done that. It was fine. Uh, I I understand why those rules are in sure. place. You know. Yeah. Um, on the flip side. If we, as a continent, had a greater ecological vocabulary and sort of like um, dexterity, we could be trusted more. Sure. I, I feel like we've, in we've those kind situations. of, which is leading to our broader conversation tonight about habitat and yeah. why birds are, are an interesting entry point into a conversation about 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 conservation and habitat because. If we had not messed it up in the first place, right. we wouldn't have endangered species like we do and yeah. things like that. So we're going to take a little break, yeah. get you the news, all the good stuff. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. We have special guest co-host Rob Telfer in the house tonight from the Morton Arboretum Adult Education Center. And we have some special guests coming up for this bigger conversation all about conservation efforts right here in Chicago and simple things that you can do to participate in them and be cool. Back in just a bit on 720.
720 WGN. It's Amy Guth here on the Saturday Night Special. So all month long, we have been talking about environmental issues and conservation. And last week, if you recall, we talked with some folks who do that for marine life. And today we're talking about some people doing really, really cool things right here in Chicago. And we're talking about this through the lens of birds because very exciting bird news happened in Chicago this week. We have a special guest co-host, Rob Telfer's here tonight with us from the Morton Arboretum. He works in the Adult Education Center. That was a lot of words for not taking a breath. I'm going to turn your microphone on now. I'm sure everyone's writing down all of my titles. And you never know. People, uh, it, yeah. people might be like, I would like to fund a fantastic project. That guy's brilliant. <laughs> I'm you, ready for that person. You never know. Any second now. You never know. We also are joined now in studio by Stephanie Bilkey, who uh, works in conservation science at Audubon Great Lakes. Stephanie, welcome to the program. Thank you. So uh, we were talking a little bit about this bird earlier and how no one's real sure how to pronounce it. So what's you, what do you say? I say piping plover. <laughs> you oh say no. plover. See? I'm telling you. Doug says plover. You know, it goes both ways. It goes both ways. That's fine. This we, is why they're endangered because we can't we get can't agree settled. On the settled. Yeah. So, so as we were talking about earlier, this, this nesting pair has settled at Montrose Harbor, and there's a great deal of stress around this to protect them from all of the activity. Uh, in your work, from your point of view, what, uh, what are the big things to consider right now, and, and how big a risk are we talking about? Because I, I feel like that's I'm terrified for these birds because there's so much going on at Montrose Harbor. For sure, yeah. Uh, I mean, nesting on the beach, it's, it's a good strategy that this bird had at you know before people kind of took over and decided that the beach was somewhere that we want to recreate and go swimming and um of course you know people uh dogs wild other wild animals are a danger to these birds and they're they're pretty much out in the open but they you know they are uh camouflage and they have uh adaptations that help them on the beach but um, just with the amount of people and the, the crowds around beach in the summer, it's, it can be quite dangerous for birds. Like I'm this. real scared for these birds. I'm and, pretty scared. And I'm glad there's people. I mean, they're really, like, everybody uh, that has written about this has been saying, volunteers are welcome. We yeah. sign up at this one address, which I'll tweet out. Um, but it's really, we need someone to watch these birds at all times. Because to be honest with you, when I saw the picture, because you think of a bird nest being in a tree, this is on the ground. And... If the birds were not in it, I don't know that I would be, oh, a nest. I mean, it's, it's down, it's kind of... Oh, the eggs look like rocks, you know, they look like gravel, I'm right? Scared. Like, you right. step right on it, you're like, oh, it's a great place to walk. Yeah, so I'm scared for the birds. And, and, but I guess the bigger question is, because they're endangered, because they haven't been seen in a while, you know, I was reading kind of about when they were spotted in Canada in 2013, and, or was that right, 20, or 2007, I think, and there was so few left, and uh, there's only 70 known pairs, le- and then that's... Those are really scary numbers for this bird. Um, why not? Like, why would they show up in Montrose Harbor right now? Yeah, that's a good question, and I, I think the answer is that they've done a, incredible work restoring the the beach and the dune habitat there. They being the park district and um, stewards and volunteers, and um, when you go out there, it doesn't. There's parts of the beach that don't look like oh, this is a beach where I I'm gonna go hang out at. It, yeah <laughs> it's it looks like a natural habitat with plants and little marsh habitat and trees and it's it's very bird friendly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and so in the bigger conversation when we're thinking about birds and habitats we, we i mean i talked a little bit at the at the opening of the show about why they're kind of this environmental tell 
but you're, you're the expert. So talk to us about why, why birds matter so much to our environmental system and, and health. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, people always talk about birds as being, you know, of course, the emblematic canary in the coal mine. They're, they're really important indicators to how our environment is doing. And, you know, if the birds aren't doing well, there's, there's more to the story than that. You know, there's birds that depend on insects and that if they're declining, then that could also mean that our insect populations aren't doing very well. And um, if they're birds that depend on water and wetlands to be high quality and they're disappearing, then that could say something about our water or um, about our, uh, our wetlands health. So, you know, we as humans all depend on similar things that birds do, healthy water, healthy air, um, of course. A regular food supply, you know, all these things. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And, and so we, you mentioned wetlands, and that, that's, I think, uh, a bit of a misunderstood thing, right? Because people just kind of go, oh, it's, this, it's sure, it's, that's great. Uh, of course, let's well, protect nature. Have, uh, but they're a big some, deal. Well, you have the someone uh, who, will remain, who, who will remain nameless who's like, we need to drain the swamp, right? Like there's a, <laughs> a concept of draining the swamp as a good as a thing positive, to do right? that everyone has done throughout history. Um, which, I mean, I understand you don't want to get malaria, but uh, swamp is awesome. Wetlands are awesome. Tell me why. For those who maybe don't know, let's talk about it. Yeah, wetlands, you know, they they work to clean our water. They filter our water and um, they store storm water. So, you know, wetlands are a great place for water to go that isn't, you know, in our basements or um, in our houses. So, uh Wetlands do all kinds of things, and they provide great habitat for birds, of course. Yeah, because there's such, there's such dense vegetation there. It seems like it's good cover for a lot of species. And there are certain species that only will only go to certain kinds of wetlands, certain kinds of hemi marshes, like mm-hmm. they, they have very specific habitat needs. And mm-hmm. I, I think that, that's always a very good political answer to be like, this is what the wetlands do for people, um, which I think is the only way that certain people will care about it. But darn it, they belong, they, they should exist on their own merits, you know. Uh, and, uh, but you're, you're, you have to deal with people a lot uh, and getting them to like nature, so I understand. <laughs> um, and I do that too. I play that game too. Well, you both do that. You both are doing a lot of cool stuff. And I want to talk a little bit more about that. We have to take a really quick oh, break. Cool. But when we return, more of this conversation all about conservation efforts right here in Chicago. Back in just a bit on 720 WGN. WGN. Hey there, it's Amy Guth here on the Saturday Night Special. As ever, we take one big topic and we talk about it all evening. That topic tonight, we're continuing our month-long conversation about environmental issues. And tonight, really focusing on conservation efforts right here in Chicago. Kicked off by the fact that we've got these endangered birds nesting at Montrose Harbor. I'm very stressed out about it. I'm going to tweet about nothing else but this for quite a while, in addition to all the links from tonight. So don't worry about that. But I'm, I'm very concerned about these birds. And we have, uh, anytime we have a, you know, a big complicated topic, we bring in really smart people and we, we all learn together from them. So we have special guest co-host tonight, Rob Telfer from the Morton Arboretum. And uh, now in studio, we have Stephanie Bilkey, who is in conservation science at Audubon Great Lakes. And we have been talking about all the things. I appreciate you both being with us tonight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that. For sure. Okay. So right before the break, we were uh, talking a little bit about wetlands and why they're so important. And uh, 
on the break, we got we got back to the bird a little bit and and our collective anxiety for this bird. Yeah. But you, <laughs> what were you about bullets. to say? That I was like, save it for the air. Oh well, I, okay. So we're all worried that these birds are going to make it. Yeah, yeah. Um, like le- legit. Well, they're just fragile little creatures, and there's all these predators, mostly fragile, human, all around them. Adorable. Yeah, they're real cute. I mean, and so uh, it's super stressful. But I, I, the volunteer effort has already been super big of folks who are trying to be lifeguards, you know, mm-hmm. trying to be like neighborhood watch for these these, these little, little, little fellas. fellas. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I feel like birds specifically have a lot of people rooting for them. There's a, I mean, like there's a lot of challenges. We keep putting buildings up in their flight paths, and we keep uh, uh, poisoning them. But also we have an amazing community of birders mm-hmm. throughout the planet who are basically neighborhood watching for birds <laughs> as best they can. And uh, a great example of this is I was at the Arboretum and I saw six whooping cranes fly over. Um, whooping cranes wow. are, there's only like 800 of those yeah. left in the world. Um, and I was freaking out. I was like, I know how great this is. This is a rare moment. And I went online on, on the Facebook, and there was a birding group in Indiana, and someone had seen six whooping cranes two and a half hours earlier, exactly like f- if they were traveling 50 miles an hour, like from... Oh, interesting. So they, we saw the yeah. same birds so, so migrating to Wisconsin. And, and so what, what I'm saying is like... You have, have faith in the bird people. That w- like Both of us were watching from the ground. We're like, we see you. We, we value you. Uh, get get home safe. I hope the birds can hear you uh, by saying that. Well, I'll, I'll translate later. <laughs> yeah, all good. Um, well, so, so Stephanie, in your work, when we talk about the connection to to birds and wetlands and and their environment, what is often missing from the narrative when when people are talking broadly about it? Maybe you know, people outside of the industry, people are just kind of interested or or beginning to be interested in birds and and conservation of their habitats. Where what gets lost all the time, or what do people get wrong? There's got to be something that people are going, that every time you hear it, you go, man, I wish people would stop saying that. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Oh, there, there's so many things. <laughs> oh, oh, it's not. <laughs> it's okay. hard for me to, but I mean, I, I'm i in the job of, you know, just telling people all about what I know about birds yeah. and sharing what I, what I have learned. And it gives me the opportunity to make those corrections nicely and um, while, you know, showing uh, what the work we're doing has been has done for the birds. Yeah. What is some of the work that you've done that for the birds? Jinx. Like? <laughs> well, here in the Chicago area, we're working on a project that we started in 2015, where we're monitoring um, wetland birds, uh, specifically marsh birds, and seeing how they're responding to habitat restoration in the Calumet area, which is um, it used to be basically the the largest wetland in the in the Midwest and. Um, you know, people have changed that system mm-hmm. dramatically, and uh, it's astounding that the birds are still there despite all the changes and the urbanization, industrial um, construction, roads. Pollution. Exactly. How, yeah. like how recently was it one of the largest wetlands in the Midwest? Well, you know, pre-industry. Yeah, yeah. like okay. 200 years ago or okay. so. You know, it, it was still known as an area where people would go hunting and there would just be just massive amounts mm-hmm. of ducks there. And um, It's still great for birds, but it's been changed so much. Sure. And um, 
it's uh, the industry that was there actually ended up pr- protecting some of the wetlands because they bought up so much land they didn't use it all. But um, over the last like, 20 or 10 or so years, some of the that um, well the industry has subsided and uh, local park districts like the park uh, Chicago Park District and the Forest Preserves of Cook County have acquired that land and then they're restoring it as a marsh and. So the, the the work of restoration is a it's a challenging work. You're basically trying to see how humans gunked it all up mm-hmm. and ungunk it. And um, what does that entail? So I mean, it, it, for each site, it's different. For each okay. habitat, it's different. And uh, some are like a, a lot are supported by a lot of volunteers, and some you need people with special licenses. And, sure. Uh, herbiciding licenses and things like that. That's where I'm going with it. I imagine there's probably just the basic cleanup. Get the chemical stuff out of there or whatever's damaging it but then the restoration part the bringing it back yeah part, it seems like a very special and patient challenge it's someone recently called it the longest fine art mm. and i really like that uh because it, it is it takes you know a long time to get normalized so that people don't have to come all the time to fix stuff sure and so once you get it cleaned up and and chemical free or danger free what is what are the next steps there in restoring a so, habitat and a, a wetland well, the 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 big competitor of our you know habitat is the invasive species that have people have brought here that have really changed how the the habitat works and how birds are able to use it. So mostly in our wetlands, the the invasive species is um, called Phragmites, which is a invasive gra- type of grass that. And you know really it. The people don't know the name, maybe, but if they are driving on the highway, they. They know what Phragmites looks like. It's, if you saw it, you would know what it is. It's a big, tall grass with a big feather. Yeah, it can be oh, up to thing. 10 yeah. feet tall and yeah. Yeah, has a plume on it. Where where did it come from? Eurasia. How did it get here? People. Uh, people. <laughs> people. It's mostly. always people. So it's yeah. people thinking, I want to bring this cool plant. Or yeah, some people still use it as a decorative plant. <laughs> it's a bummer when you hear those stories. But yeah, uh, sometimes they're just brought here on accident. And like the ballast water of mm-hmm. ships. I see. Phragmites is a particular nasty one because just a tiny little root piece, if it floats downstream, can turn into a whole giant monoculture stand of, of, uh, of itself. That's choking out the, the species that are supposed to be there. Right, yeah. So you lose that natural diversity of plant life and uh, diversity of ha- uh, marsh plants and water that provides a structure that birds need and it can grow in an entire wetland and just like become a big monoculture and there's no open water left mm. how so, do you get rid of that uh herbicide um, um burning burning nothing positive sometimes flooding it out oh, okay yeah. so there's there's been a lot of that in the calumet area and or i mean there's been a lot of phragmites control that's where a lot of the work has gone into mm-hmm. and then replanting of native Plants. So you mentioned the Calumet region, Stephanie. What other areas are, are what we should we be looking at when we're thinking about protected areas or areas that need our love and care um, or, or perhaps really significant wetland areas in the Midwest? Yeah, so, well, Calumet ended up kind of being where we started our work because it was right in our backyard here mm-hmm. in Chicago where our office is located. But um, we're really interested in coastal wetlands in general of the Great Lakes um, because coastal wetlands are that interface between you know, our, our rivers and our Great Lakes. And they're really important, especially for birds, including marsh w- birds, as well as um, land birds that are mi- during migratory stopover. And so 
um, other areas that are, are really important also overlap with a lot of where our major cities are because um, they ended up being important for birds, but they also ended up being really big port cities like mm. Chicago. So Green Bay, Duluth, D- uh, Detroit, Western Lake Erie, where that's more of an agricultural um, system happening there. But um, those are all really uh, important estuaries and uh, where a lot of birds historically have nested. What's, tell us about the agricultural site you mentioned. Uh, Western Lake Erie, so okay. near Toledo. Um, that there's a lot going on because it, it's the home of the, the Great Black Swamp. And that ended up being uh, drained along, uh, you know, 100 to 200 years ago and uh, used as agriculture because it was really rich, fertile soil. Um, so they've, you know, we've lost a lot of the natural marshes there. And that was that interface between the rivers and the Lake Erie that would clean the water as it's coming out. Um, so, you know, since we've lost those wetlands, we've lost our ability to clean the water, and there's a lot of water quality issues in Lake Erie, as, uh, as you know about the, the algal the big, blooms. The mm-hmm. green blooms. Uh, sure. Didn't it also catch on fire? Wasn't Lake Erie the one that caught on fire? The, the whole lake? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of it. <laughs> what was on fire? The algae bloom? What? No, no. Uh, or it was maybe the Cuyahoga River, yeah, which I was think that's... near there, I think. My geography is bad. I don't feel like that's a thing that should be able to catch on fire. <laughs> no, that's water. Uh, you two are the experts, <laughs> and I am not. Um, and so, same same question to you, Rob. What is the thing in your profession when you're talking about habitat restoration that that you feel like people so often miss in the conversation or get wrong too much? It's so there's this like three tiered approach to our habitats that I wish I wish everyone sort of held every human and that is the remnant the things that we have left that have yet to be totally grunked up by humans uh those need to be protected with our lives you know the things that are are like the habitats that are un, mostly undisturbed since settlement times mm-hmm. settlement is the code for when white people ruined everything <laughs> um and so the remnants need to be protected with our lives then we need to restore connections anywhere between all of these remnants uh anything we we need to put native plants and ecosystems back together uh on grand scales and then we need to like rethink our our habits at home change our lawns uh lawns are these really weird monocultures Mm -hmm. where everyone who owns a lawn is a, a farmer of a crop that is not eaten but they know how to fertilize it they know how Make to it harvest it yeah, yeah yeah they're do they have all these tools <laughs> for point. it and i just would love if everyone took that energy and was like yeah you can do that it can even look nice and and kept but also uh will be habitat for all manner of mm. insects and and uh, native creatures. I feel like homeowners associations just immediately heard that and just said something's off in the force and are coming. They're, you know, they're going to come and sh- like take me out. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have a friend who's done some battle in a different state with a with an HOA oh, because she wanted to have an edible landscape, and they're like, nope, you have to have this one kind of grass that requires chemicals and all this water that's not native to this area. Even though our aquifer is drying up, you have to have it. And she fought the HOA. Did she win? 
She's still continuing to win. Great. Oh, conti- oh that's, in, I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's She's not continuing to win. Continuing but um, we're unfortunately running out of time already. But um, I would I would ask this question to both of you. As you know, we've been talking about volunteers and people going to wetlands and, and protected areas. What can just the average person do to protect habitats and species in them? They look at each other like, well, there's many, know. many things. Okay. The first thing you can do is go to chicagobirder.org and sign up to volunteer to guard these plovers. Uh, but another thing you could do is go there's look on your Google map. There's a green polygon mm-hmm. near you. Go there. Learn it. Uh, make it feel like it's one of your neighbors and then see who's working to keep it green. So there are volunteer organizations anywhere anyone listening is is, is sitting mm-hmm. to keep the places near them beautiful and diverse. That's easy enough. I think most people can handle that. Stephanie, that. what yeah. would you add? I, I mean, we also have uh, restoration opportunities for volunteers in the Calumet area. If you're interested in coming on down and learning more about the Calumet, um, you can find it on our, our Audubon Great Lakes Facebook page, uh, in Indian Ridge Marsh. And I, I love Rob's idea of finding out what's happening near where you live. You know, I, I don't live in the Calumet. I live closest to Humboldt Park, and, you know, that's my nature spot, and that's where I go. And there's, there's opportunities happening there, too. That sounds good. All right. Well, again, for those of you who follow me on Twitter, I'm going to be sure and tweet links to all of this stuff out. Stephanie Bilkey, conservation science scientist, yeah, <laughs> expert. No, I struggle with titles. I'm just into the thing that you do, and you do. The thing that you do is conservation science at Audubon Great Lakes. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you. you. All right, we're going to take a little break, get you to news, all that good stuff, back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. Seven twenty WGN. It's Amy Guth here on the Saturday Night Special. I stand by my earlier statement that esteemed producer Marsha Lyles is playing all the hits from the Wayback Machine tonight, and I'm on it. I'm all over it. It's all the yacht rock hits. <laughs> I don't hear that phrase nearly enough anymore. Um, that voice that you heard, that is our special guest co-host tonight. That is Rob Telfer from the Morton Arboretum. Uh, he works in the Ed- Adult Education Center there, and you guys have a bunch of cool events coming up. So people should go to that website. Mm. Morton Arb, it's like Arb. not... Yeah, we don't want to trust people to spell, spell. Arboretum. That's fair. I pretty much got to use... I can't spell it right. Spell check every time I got to type that word, which is all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, you should go to mortonarb.org and check out all the events. It's a beautiful place. If mm. you've not been, you should go anyway, and it's beautiful all the time. But their events are really special, so you should go check that out. Um, we are joined now by Lauren Umack. She joins us by phone. Uh, she, she works in the conservation area of the Chicago Park District. Lauren, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Hi, thanks for having me. So tell us about the work that you do at the Chicago Park District. Yeah, um, so I'm a project manager in our Department of Cultural and Natural Resources, which, which is a huge department, um, but I work in a smaller team um, in natural areas. So our environmental, we call it our environmental um, conservation and engagement team. So I'm one of a, a smaller team there. All right, and, and describe some of the projects that you have going right now and how you're doing work here in the Chicago area. Yeah, so my main focus, I I have an academic background, um, and what I do now is I supervise the restoration of natural areas throughout the city. Um, So areas that were otherwise um, not really great habitat, so major improvements in terms of improving those sites all over the city from the north to the south and the west side. Including a lot of the places that Stephanie monitors birds. Yeah, exactly. 
I'm getting the sense yeah, that this is a really small community. Suddenly, all of you know each other. Well, well Lauren and I went yeah. to high school together, too. So <laughs> you go like, way back. Speaking of the way back It's machine. a weirdly small world. It's, it's very small. I'm, I'm sad I'm not in the... As soon as I heard Stephanie on the radio, I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> That's all right. We'll, we'll have plenty of other opportunities to talk about this topic. There's, it's, an op, uh, it's a topic that keeps on giving. When you talk about these areas where you're working in, in restoration, and I guess I would, I would throw this question to, to both of you, uh, to Lauren and to Rob, where are those in our city? Because I feel like it's so easy to overlook them in an yeah. urban environment. You know, a minute ago, Stephanie said something about Humboldt Park. Yeah. And that's that's not the first thing I think of there. But then I'm like, oh, that's right. There's that beautiful water and all that going on there. There's all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And it's a huge area of land, but it's not the first thing I think of when I think of Humboldt Park. So where should we be thinking about that in the city? Lauren, I'll let you go. Yeah. So first, everywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There is, there is nature everywhere, and, and I think there's different ways to define nature. Um, so some of our natural areas, there's, there's 1,800 acres of just park district managed natural area in the city. That's, that's 22% of Chicago park district property. So people think of park districts as like baseball and basketball and football and all of these other amazing things, and maybe even the beaches. But 22% of our land is as natural areas. Lagoons, prairies, woodlands, that sort of thing. So there's probably something near you, wherever you are in the city. Um, there's a couple, you know, everyone has their favorites. There's a couple key spaces, um, but there's basically pocket nature everywhere. Yeah, in my ward, uh, the 33rd, we have Horner Park, mm-hmm. which just finished an amazing habitat restoration along the, the riverbank. And it is just, and when we talk about habitat restoration, it's basically like taking out either uh, basically grass and then putting in planting native species or uh, removing invasive species and putting in native species. And that there, there's these natural areas. I mean, there's uh, – where's West Ridge? It's like Western and Pater- Peterson. Peterson, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that, that's an amazing park uh, that is part of the Rose Hill Cemetery. Um, it's just the, you, the park district bought that back from them, right? I think we lease it. Yeah, there's something. But there's it's something. an amazing natural area. It's yeah. amazing. I You're saw a baby deer care. there. Really? Yes. A little baby, cutie baby deer that a woman was chasing. Why would you do that? Because she thought it was, like, unsafe. And so we're like, stop it. You leave the baby deer alone. <laughs> anyway, yes. People want to help, whether that's productive or not. Well, and, and I think that's an important um, segue into what kicked off this night. All month we've been talking about environmental issues on this show. But... Tonight, in particular, we're you know talking about habitats and its wildlife because of the endangered birds that are at Montrose Harbor. Now, uh, do I understand that you've seen them? You've been there. Yes, I've seen them just um, the day before they laid their first egg. Um, so so it was I, you. I You're the reason it. they laid it. You know, I was playing all the right music and sending out all the right vibes, and I, they were feeling it. I guess. Yeah, sure. yeah, very romantic. So you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about you know how how few of this bird there is and how kind of nervous we all are for this bird. What are the, you know, and there's so many people with very good intentions that are, that try to do things to help wildlife. We mentioned earlier the bison incident a couple mm-hmm. of years ago mm-hmm. with the father and the son who made things incredibly worse. I think enough organizations are involved with these birds at, at Montrose Harbor at this point that I think they have a pretty good shot. But in general, um, Lauren, I'll start with you here. In general, what is the thing that you see people do with very good intentions that is just really not ideal for our natural habitat here? Mm. Um, one of the biggest things I would think of is, is our love. We, we just talked about it, deer. 
Um, we love deer. They're adorable, um, and it's kind of cool in the city to see a big mammal like that. Um, but in some cases, first of all, there are not very many deer anywhere, but where they are, um, like within the city, but where there are deer, they're pretty heavily pop- populated um, and way denser than they should be in nature. So I think one of the things that we tend to think is, is animal lovers, um, we want to love and protect some of um, animals that are sometimes way overpopulated um, and can have some seriously negative effects um, on the overall ecosystem. Um, so that's one of the biggest things I think is, is some of our misdirected love for animals. Yeah, it's the challenge is we are trying to maintain the health of the entire ecosystem. And so you can have native things, things that are from here, but, if I mean, deer don't have any cougars anymore because they killed that one that came to Roscoe Village those years ago. So that was my question. Then yeah. how, if they're if they're part of the original ecosystem of an area, how do things get out of balance? They, are, they ain't got predators. no predators. Yeah. yeah, they're fearless. If you go to Labaw Woods in the city at Foster and Cicero, mm-hmm. you can walk right up to a deer and they'll be like, what are you going to do? You're not going to do nothing. You can't, <laughs> you can't touch me. And, and they'll like deer. spit on your shoe. Sure. Um, but, uh, and somebody will feed them. Yeah, someone will feed them and, mm. and that's also where you get in and, trouble. So people with good intentions... Uh, trying to feed coyotes, that's like, yeah, that's how you're going to get hurt. Well, I mean, I think an, an, interest, an important and interesting thing to, to underscore here is emerging, and that's when, when we think about uh, environmental damage, when we think about wildlife populations in trouble, we often think of pretty dramatic examples of pollutants and chemicals and, you know, plastic around little turtles' necks and stuff like yep. that. Those are bad things. Sure. But in fact, there, there's a, the theme I'm seeing here uh, from, from all three of you tonight that, that we've been talking with is, is that is, there's this whole other level, and that's about when, as soon as things get a little bit out of balance, things start to go very haywire. Yeah, or it's, it's a death by a thousand cuts. You know, um, the deer maybe wouldn't be so bad if we left one of their predators mm-hmm. or if there was enough habitat for them to spread out more. And, I mean, so people put cages up in habitat restoration around plants that they want to keep the deer from eating. And so inside these cages will be, like, all these other flowers that are blooming. And, like, right next to it, there will be no blooming flowers. And it's like they're taking refuge inside of this cage. Like, all these other plants are, like, gathering in this cage. Interesting. uh, Because the deer is going to overbrowse. It's going to eat too much. And so, yeah, it's uh, things get thrown out of whack and... um, the job of everyone, and I think that this is where the agencies and the experts uh, can't do all the work. We all have to grow our ecological vocabulary in a way that we can notice. Like, like it was great that there was me and other folks at that park being like, "Lady, stop chasing the baby deer." It's <laughs> this is how it's supposed to be because we knew we knew that the mama will leave it laying down, and mm-hmm. and, and also we knew that uh, the deer weren't going to be hurt there, you know, and so. Um, we just need, as a, uh, a people, to grow a culture of understanding ecology and e- ecological health. Yeah. Lauren, what would you add to that? Yeah, I, oh, I think you nailed it in terms of thinking about these, these things being in balance. Um, and we, we live in kind of a weird and slightly unbalanced place. You know, being in a city with skyscrapers and a hugely dense population of people with pockets of nature and amazing pockets of nature, but we're all kind of coexisting in a relatively small geographic area. And so when you're all kind of confined, getting things out of balance and sort of thrown out of whack happens. Um, so sort of understanding what is that balance and how do we deal with that and how do we all kind of coexist in this space together. 
Yeah, there's a lot here. There's, as ever, we pick one big topic, and as soon as we start <laughs> tugging at the threads, there's lots of stuff. Totes. Uh, there, and there's lots of efforts that people can join any time. You know, I mentioned earlier the birders. You can join this group of birders uh, through groups like the Chicago Ornithological Society, but they they log the birds they see on this amazing website called eBird. And people do this all over the eBird planet. eBird is cool. eBird is so eBird. great, and it's such a great example of people... It's like Wikipedia, you know, like Wikipedia isn't written by experts. It's written by everybody trying their best. And there's always one or two people who rock it, it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the vast majority are, are like trying their best. And sure. so we have amazing data about the movement of birds around the planet because some person in Schaumburg was like, yeah, I, I counted six uh Bustards. I don't know. I can't think of any bird names. Uh, <laughs> and so then right. the, the people all over the planet are able to track where these birds are going. Yeah. And so that's that's a great success. So you could join one of those groups. You can join a habitat restoration volunteer group happening at all the places we've mentioned, including other ones uh, at these natural areas. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's important to 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 resurface something that Stephanie said, and that was about how. It's not just about birds. It's not like even if you're not into birds and not a bird person, there's such interesting tells to other things in the environment with insects and other um, other just the health of of the rest of the the habitat. Well, yeah. If you like birds, you need bugs and you need marshes and you need like if which you and I have talked at length about people being weird about insects yeah. and how much we need to stick up for them. That's right. They That's need, right. That's need, its whole other show. That's next week. Zero. We're going to talk yeah. about insects. They're not nearly the cutest, but they are just as important, if not more so. I disagree. But. Jumping spiders <laughs> are supermodels. Oh, and then it got weird. Okay, so we're going to take a little break. We're talking with Lauren Umek from the Chicago Park District and, of course, our special guest co-host tonight, Rob Telfer from the Morton Arboretum, is here. We'll be right back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. There's the music from the Wayback Machine from Marsha. There it is. All right, let me reset. 720 WGN. It's Amy Guthier on the Saturday, Saturday Night Special. Thanks for being with us tonight. We're continuing our month-long conversation about environmental issues and conservation, all that good stuff. And tonight we're talking with people doing totally cool things right here in Chicago to help it be green, help it stay green, help it not be gross and ruined by humans, because that's a theme that's been coming up in all these shows, is that we are not doing right by the environment. I think we can all agree on that uh, for various reasons. And so we have on the phone with us Lauren Umack. She is from the Chicago Park District doing completely cool things there. And we have a special guest co-host tonight that's Rob Telfer from the Morton Arboretum's Adult Education Area. So before the break, Lauren and Rob, Mm. we were talking a little bit about um, simple things that people can do. Oh, yeah to be involved because, you know, not everybody has time or inclination to volunteer, but yet I feel like everybody has responsibility to do something. What about in, um, in our own, literally in our own backyards, what can we do to support the local habitat and its creatures, its birds, and its insects? I got a bunch, but I'll let Lauren speak first. <laughs> okay, Lauren, take I, it away. I, I assume we have some overlap. Um, yeah. Plant native plants. Yeah. Um, Whatever that is, there's there's native plants, um, and one of the easiest ones, I think, to get kind of the best bang for your buck and most instant gratification is milkweed. Um, So milkweeds, there's there's a couple different species of milkweeds. Um, Asclepius is is the Latin uh, genus for those, um, but most people know them as milkweeds. They are important host plants for monarch butterflies. Um, 
So monarch butterflies are in decline. Uh, we've been seeing them decline, and it's, it's kind of scary if you actually look at those numbers. So this is one specific thing that you can do that has a very direct and adorable sort of instant gratification um, result from it. So you plant milkweed in your yard in a planter box if you don't have a yard, um, in a pot on your deck, on your balcony, on your windowsill, and watch and wait for a caterpillar to, to show up. I actually just planted eight uh, two weeks ago, and I already have four caterpillars. Ooh, um, I got five so, caterpillars. Wow. Oh, you can't <laughs> buy one. Caterpillar um, it's one, one of the easiest things to do. Buy a plant, put it in the ground, and watch. You just saved a species. So, um, Lauren, you mentioned the monarch butterfly numbers. Do you know those off the top of your head? I don't. They I know they were in decline. There was a really bad yeah, they, storm that knocked out a ton of them. Because they only go to... So they migrate from Mexico to Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and they won, I think it was 2013, 2014, they were, they were leaving Michoacan in Mexico, and they got hit by a huge storm. And that year we did not see very many monarchs. And it's it's kind of scary because mm-hmm. we're having a lot of more of these like frequent storms that are 100-year storms. Um, and so... They need as much support as they can, and it turns out that cities are great monarch habitat. Why is that? Uh, it's a stopover, just like it, it, it's a historic stopover, and it's also a place where um, if we don't, we, we have to treat it like habitat. We have to mm-hmm. treat the city like a, a place that animals can live. Sure, sure. And what's great is you can bring the little caterpillars into your house, and so now me and my daughter get to watch them grow, we feed it fresh milkweed leaves every day, and then it makes its little beautiful chrysalis, which is gorgeous, and then when it emerges, we release it and get to see it fly for the first time. Oh, that's fun to do with a kid, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's very fun. Lauren, what other things can people be doing in their yards besides planting milkweed? Yeah, milkweeds, and then really any native plants. Um, there's, there's a ton of them. I, you know, I've, I've actually recently just converted a lot of my family members um, converted some of their grass sections into native. I'm, I'm really spreading the gospel as much as I can um, to native um, to native plants. And, and the first question I always get is like, so is it just going to be like a bunch of tall weeds? Like, no, no, there's going to be beautiful flowers. Oh, flowers. Okay. Yeah. So, so some sections of your garden, you know, go to any prairie, go to any savanna. It will be full of flowers, and you can have that, too, in your yard. So there's a lot of amazing native plants. Um, and I think one of the things that resonates particularly as a homeowner with this super wet spring we've had is native prairie plants, or actually all of our native plants, have insanely deep roots. So turf grass has roots of like a couple inches max, which is why if it rains super heavy, you'll see lawns with puddles in them because there is nowhere else for that water to grow to go. But native plants have roots that will go 6, 10, 12, 15 feet deep. So what you'll see above ground is like this three-foot-tall sunflower, and that's very cute. But what you're not seeing is like 80% of the plant, which is below ground, sucking up water, supporting all sorts of other insects, fungi, bacteria, all these other critters that we don't talk about but are super important. So, so they're not just what you can see above ground, supporting cool things like monarchs and other butterflies and insects, but doing so much work for us below ground that we're ignoring and not seeing but are really benefiting from that's so interesting so tell us i we're going to run out of time here pretty quickly but tell us what uh what events you have coming up or special projects that you're working on that you want to highlight at chicago park district 
Yeah, there's there's always um, work days. So whatever park you're at, wherever whatever's near you, there's always work days if you want to come out and participate, plant some milkweeds, plant some um, butterfly species. Um, one of the other projects I'm working on that's pretty exciting right now is we just removed the dam um, that separates the north branch of the Chicago River um, from the North Shore Channel, which has really connected miles of waterways now for fish. Um, so it's a really exciting thing. This is the first uh, growing season where that dam, where that those two water bodies are now connected for wildlife. Um, How long so has come it been out there? It. Um, since 19, I think it's 06, 100, so, 100 plus years. Yeah, for a minute. Okay. Yeah, a so, little while. <laughs> so people should go see that. Come see it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, check out your local park. Look at look at plants. Um, go participate in the work day. Yeah, uh, the the place where the dam was taken out is a good place. You could see a state endangered or state threatened black crowned night heron. Just hang out in the city. And you can go see him right now. How big is that creature? It is about the size of my sternum. <laughs> That's a really strange way to say that. I didn't. I was expecting the question. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, no, you duck see size ish. Duck size. Okay, I mean, you see heron. You think like a big. It's a smaller flamingo-like heron. creature. It's a smaller yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. They're rare in the state and common in Chicago. It's one of our cool things. Interesting. We have a lot of interesting species just here. Oh yeah, and, I know that and, came up in the bee conversation. Yeah, we, we got mink that live inside the city. Mink. Mink. Not I'll say it three times. <laughs> and not just on coats. Yeah, not just on coats. They, like, I, I heard that some of them were released from a coat farm, though. Like some animal rights activists in the 70s, like, busted in. Let them all go. Let them go, and now we got A little restored. colony of minks. But they're native. They're native mink, and, and you can see them all over the region and at Labaw Woods. There's someone that has a great picture of a mink recently carrying a dead muskrat in its mouth. It's uh, kind of metal. It's a, oh, yeah, yeah. It's a <laughs> B.A., as they say. <laughs> We can say badass. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah. I just opened the world to you, didn't I? It's all good. Uh, well, see, there's. I feel like it's it's the, um, you know, this other completely cool other world of full of life. We think of a city being just concrete yeah. and, and metal. But, in fact, there's so much stuff happening. There's so much that's just living right here in our city that's exciting and cool. I love that. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for being with us today. That's Lauren Umek from the Chicago Park District. Come back and visit us again. Give us updates on all things Habitat. Happy to. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. All right. Well, we're going to take a little break, get you the news, all that good stuff, back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. 720 WGN. It's Amy Goethe here on the Saturday Night Special. I'm cracking up because esteemed producer Marshall Isles is pulling all the things out of the Wayback Machine. And I'm like, oh, man, I haven't heard this song in a minute. we got to wait for that guitar thing. No, that's like... 30 seconds from now. Anyway, tonight we're continuing our month-long conversation about environmental issues, and tonight we are talking about conservation efforts right here in Chicago, and we've been talking to really smart people who have real cool jobs. I feel like I have a pretty cool job. Now, not so sure. After tonight, I feel like my job's not that cool. I feel like I need to make some choices. i gotta, I got to rearrange some things and do some things, because we have been talking with people working in conservation efforts right here in Chicago. We have special guest host Rob Telfer from the Morton Arboretum with us tonight. Uh, he's our guest co-host, and uh, we were talking about stuff that you do there at the Adult Education Center. And, you know, like I said earlier, hit that uh, mortonarb.org mm. and look at all the educational programs, because I haven't been out there in a little while, but I've been out there several times, and I think it's so beautiful. It's the best. And peaceful and chill. I love it. It's, it's a really cool great. job. I, yeah, it's, I, I take all my breaks outside. I get to see 
weird birds. Uh, weird, winning. You're weird, winning. I'm, I've won some things. <laughs> you won some things. So, you know, tonight we've been talking about uh, a lot of things that people can do to, uh, you know, help, help support the environment right here in the city, which I think is a really important point because it's easy to feel like, eh, I'm just surrounded by concrete. But in fact, there's natural habitat everywhere and there's a lot we can do. But it's also, I think, easy to get overwhelmed. You know, we see oh, yeah. there was a, about a month ago, there was a story saying, oh, remember how we said it was about 30 years until super destruction? No, it's more like 12. You're cooked. You're done. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's easy to get overwhelmed mm-hmm, with, mm-hmm. with conversations about the environment and the damage done to them through industry and pollutants and things like that. How do you balance that when you're, you know, I, I'm sure it's a joyful place to, mm-hmm. you know, the space that you're working in. It's joyful and I'm sure it's really satisfying to say, hey, I look at look how this area has changed since I pulled out this invasive species oh. or whatever it is that I did. And look, there's butterflies again or whatever's happening. And yet there's this big looming cloud of kind of, um, I think it's easy to lean towards despair or overwhelm or constant fret about the environment. How do you balance that? Uh I grind my teeth a lot. Sure, same. Uh, I, try, I I make it a point not to read those articles after bedtime. Uh, so that's one thing to just make sure that I'm getting good sleep so I'm effective at life. But, uh, you know, I, I think you can hold fear and hold hope simultaneously. And it's not a hope that is... Uh, it's an urgent hope. It's not a, a hope that's based in... Um, blind faith sure so we talk a lot about how bad people are and i there are legit some bad people um but as far as the environment goes you know 99 percent of the planet hasn't messed up the environment on purpose they have had other concerns they too were acting out of their biological urges um and so humans are have done a lot of destruction, mostly not on purpose. Um, and that also means that humans are the ones who can get us out of this mess. And I, I was um, forcing myself to read uh, the Inconvenient Truth sequel that Al Gore wrote. Mm-hmm. And I say forcing myself because it's hard to look at that stuff. Like, I, I'm a sensitive flower, and so it's, it's hard to, like, stare that in the face. And one of the things he said that really resonated with me was um, despair. Oh, wait, no, he said uh, despair is the, same, <laughs> is the same thing as denial. Um, but basically, yeah, that, it, it, despair and denial of the climate change uh, are have the same result. And that is uh, Not two helpful. degrees. Yeah, yeah, two degrees growth Celsius and, and the boiling oceans and all that. So. There are little things people can do that do add up, and I'm very interested in the ways in which we can harness the power of our... Are you familiar with the term slacktivism? I am. Yeah, uh, the idea that, you know, people get really... Well, people will post a a Facebook status update and say, I'm speaking out. Like, guess what? You changed nothing. Yeah, yeah. That drives me crazy. Those awareness campaigns that are like, I'm aware. Oh, I'm plenty aware. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've ranted about that many times on the station. I've forgotten what all the ribbon colors stand for. Um, So, But yet I'm aware of all these problems. And so I want to sort of tweak that energy Mm -hmm. towards just do one tiny thing that is pro- environment pro uh green as as they say um 
And sometimes little things can be like, all right, th- there are really great companies that make uh, bamboo toothbrushes. I've heard the, the expression before that, you know, every toothbrush you've ever had still exists, which is hard to think about how many toothbrushes I've thrown away. Sure. Um, and so you you might despair. You might be like, oh, gosh, yeah. I that's easily a hundred toothbrushes that still exist somewhere in a landfill or a turtle is choking on it currently because <laughs> uh, they, they don't clean their teeth that way. So there is a proverb that I go back to um, that I, I see attributed as a Chinese proverb, and uh, but it's all Internet, so who knows? Sure. Uh, it was probably just like... Some dude. Yeah, some dude um, who may or may not have been Chinese. And so... Uh, the expression is, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. And it's okay that, like, I was uh, unaware, unengaged youth going to ska shows <laughs> and, you know, like, uh, doing the sort of, like, petty suburban crimes of, like, breaking curfew and, and stuff like that. So that's fine. Uh, I'm not that person anymore, and I know now that since I've been doing habitat restoration that I've amassed quite a bit of invasive species that I have been responsible for removing and native plants that I've been responsible for planting personally as one person. And I, I'll probably try to figure out the math sometime, but I'm sure it's on the scale of hundreds removed and thousands planted. Um, and that's not small. Sure. And that's one person. And so a lot of people can, you don't have to go to a bunch of habitat restoration work days. One of my favorite things is that you can do less and it's better for the environment sometimes. So like uh, leaf blowers give out a lot of uh, carbon into the atmosphere. Uh, and so blow less leaves. In fact, leaves, dry leaf litter on your lawn um, is a it's great habitat uh it's if you like fireflies i think i don't know anyone who doesn't like fireflies um i don't want to know anybody who doesn't like fireflies i mean there's probably like a phobia out there but like a phobia is one thing but someone's just like i don't like them yeah yeah. (laughs) i don't like the the way they look they're looking funny yeah yeah. i don't want to be friends with them yeah um those people are are but we think of leaves on the lawn being a fall thing yeah so they leave their uh larva in the mm. this dry leaf litter, and so if you like firefly, if you like fireflies, then you leave your leaves, <laughs> leave your leaves, leave yeah. leave the leaves on your lawn, uh, and there's all sorts of other things that are using that as cover, mm-hmm. um, and you just don't you don't have to rake, or you can you can mow it up a little and mulch it up a little, uh, or have an area of your lawn that's where the leaves go, and then you have your, I hate lawns, but whatever, um, and then. So I was walking with my daughter, who's two, um, and I explained this to her. She's, she really likes fireflies, but she's never seen them because uh, oh. she's still a, a wee lass. Sure. And so it was, it was like early early spring, late winter, and uh, she walked over. This was like weeks after I told her this. She walked over to some dry, dead leaves, and she goes, fireflies, wake up! <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like a really successful father in that yeah. moment. And so that's another thing, too, is like I have this kid who is starting way ahead of where I started in this conversation. And I see kids everywhere, teens, high school students, know what an invasive species is, know what climate change is. No one knew what those things were when I was in high school. Or or if they did, it was just they couldn't tell you what it was. And so 
our ecological, I said this like three times now, but our society-wide ecological vocabulary is growing. Mm-hmm. And like Stephanie said, the work of volunteers at Montrose Beach created a home that this endangered piping plover now feels comfortable enough to try to start a family. And that's not nothing. Sure, sure. Uh, and I think that's so, uh, that's so interesting when doing research for this show tonight. I was looking at, well, where is, how many of this bird is left? Where have they been? not not around yeah. not here you know she mentioned the one in Waukegan a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and didn't work out so well <laughs> uh but you know this is a bird people have not seen for a long time and prior to it being seen in Canada it uh, was a very very long time yeah. and uh you know i think when we talk about i mean this is what we said last week when we were talking about um i was talking with somebody from the Lincoln Park Zoo about conservation and he said it's very difficult you want to give people a positive experience at the zoo it's mostly children and you want them to love these animals and be inspired by them and look at their beauty and yet you also need to let people know there's not that many of this particular creature left and he said it's very difficult to to reinforce that to people if you've seen giraffes in zoos your whole life mm. it's hard to even fathom that their wild counterpart there's not many left there's perhaps more in captivity than there are in the wild and it's really difficult to explain that to people and also like what can you you do about that like like the average person can't go to africa and and save a giraffe save a giraffe and so but what you can do is go to any of the places in like in literally your backyard and make sure that there are bugs for birds to eat and these food chains have more connections you know that and that does go all the way up into these larger, bigger, more beautiful things. Bison were just reintroduced to Medeo and uh, Tallgrass Prairie in Will County. That That's in Illinois. We have Illinois bison. When now. was the last time we had that? Uh, a while. A, a few hundred years. Yeah, well, maybe like a hundred, but like uh, a minute. Mm-hmm. Then that was a species that was also almost destroyed and was saved by a few people, including Teddy Roosevelt. Um, and so... Uh, yeah, now we have an ecosystem that can support bison at Medeo and in this other amazing place called Nechusa Grasslands. Um, we have otters moving back into the city. We I'm have, real excited about that. They are the, darn cute. They are super cute. Um, we got mink. We got these birds coming in. <laughs> we got um, there's an endangered dragonfly that lives in Will County uh, called the the Heinz Emerald Dragonfly, and they that also it's a federally endangered dragonfly that lives in Door County, Wisconsin, and they were getting smashed by cars, just destroyed by cars. And they did a study that said, oh, 35 miles an hour is a speed you can go, and the dragonfly will just go over the roof, and hmm. it won't be killed. So they just changed the speed limit and saved a ton of dragonflies. How interesting. There's a bunch of salamanders that uh, got decimated by salting the roads in the winter uh, in forest preserves. They stopped salting them and save thousands of salamanders. And I love that all those things because that's just doing less stuff. Drive yeah. a little slower. Uh, and all it takes is you just have to know that this is why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And if you can make those connections, then you can start to build a, a pretty big bank of things you've done to not diminish your carbon footprint, but sort of like put money back in the carbon bank. Sure, sure. And that, that's a point that came up last week, too, about how when we think of saving the world, it's like that's just Superman stuff. Yeah. But no one person is going to like swing the comet by the tail and throw it another direction. In fact, it's a, a link of things oh, yeah. of, of one person doing what they can alongside another person doing what they can and eventually you amass a lot of things together which yeah. i think is cool and i would also recommend people check out the illinois environmental council it does really great work and they have 
uh, report cards for our elected officials in Illinois on their record for environmental things. And so uh, they're a really good resource if you really take this stuff seriously. And if the people have a bad record, you can call them. If they're your representative, you can call them and be like, hey, what's up with this? How come your record on the environment is so bad? What did you vote against? Mm -hmm. And they have to defend themselves. And so that's another avenue where we have actual power. Um, we saw the elections just happen in Chicago, and I think some things towards the environment changed pretty good. And, and that was a lot of literal grassroots effort, you know? <laughs> literal grassroots, indeed, yeah. Well, we have to take a little break, but when we come back, we're going to finish this conversation up. And uh, we have our guest co-host tonight, Rob Telfer from the Morton Arboretum. We're going to keep this conversation going, wrap it all up, and we'll see you back next week here in just a bit on 720 WGN. 720 WGN. It's Amy Goose here on the Saturday Night Special. Thanks for being with us this evening. Well, I wish we had several more hours because there's so many topics. We've been talking about environmental issues all this month and uh, tonight really focusing in on people doing cool conservation efforts right here in Chicago. And we've had guest co-host Rob Telfer with us from the Morton, Arbor Morton Arboretum. Say that three times fast. Uh, and the, uh, you probably do all the time from the <laughs> Adult Education Center. So what, um, what events do you have coming up soon that people should know about? Uh, well, we have... In addition to the, the, the bird debate you were talking about. The bird debate's happening. We have another great event that's filling up fast with folks from Lincoln Park Zoo. Um, that's called Save the Bats, and it's a bat, oh, I love bat. conservation program. Uh, and there's this amazing thing that I got from my phone. is a microphone that you plug into your, your smartphone, and you have to have a special app. You press record on it, uh, and it can tell you not only that there are bats flying around you, but that what species of bat is <gasps> flying around you. It's a Shazam for bats. Oh, and my God, that's you, cool. Yes, and so they have this amazing uh, monitoring program that goes around and are able to, because bats are hard to see, and it's hard yeah. to know because they fly around at night. You Do know? we have a lot here? We have, I, I'm going to get it wrong, uh, we have like seven different species of bats in Chicago. Um, and some of them are pretty rare. And they've had a lot of issues with this fungus, this white nose fungus, uh, that it's an invasive fungus that really likes the sort of like wet, uh, celery type places, cel like cellar ish, not like celery. Like celery I mean, they might like to live in celery. I don't <laughs> know bats' lives. Um, but. But the fungus likes the same environments that bats like to sleep. And it invades their nose and they die. Oh, but okay. apparently in the city, the places bats roost are less sort of uh, musty, and so it's actually a good haven for bats uh, to live in inside Chicago. Where do they Where do they go? Uh, they like old uh, crevices. Um, often, so people build bat boxes, and you can hope to get bats moving into those. But I've been told that the best way to get them to move in is to kick them out of where they were. Um, so if they really like your attic, kick them out and put mm -hmm. a, bo a bat box outside. Um, but yeah, the, like the often the picnic shelters at forest reserves uh, oh, have lots yeah. of bats in them, yeah. um, and they're so cute, and they eat a lot of bugs, so we need bats. Well, but, we, we've talked about bugs before, yeah. um, and and that's I feel like such an interest. We could do a whole other show on bugs because they're so misunderstood. People see them, they scream and they squish them. Yeah, I too have seen an insect and been startled by it, and not. I, I squish an insect. 
I mean, there was one that was too big to squish. Like, it would have been real gross. It <laughs> like, was, break your hand. Oh, it would have fought back. It, but it was trying to be a predatory thing. It flew at me. And for those of you who have ever seen a photograph of my hair, you know it's a tangled jungle of stuff. There's bugs in it right now. I can see. <laughs> there are not bugs in my hair. <laughs> no, there are. This giant, it was the Asian longhorn beetle. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Flew at me and got in my hair, and I could hear it trying to free itself, and I lost my mind. I ran out in the driveway screaming. It was yeah. really bad. But I was like, I don't want to hurt it, even though... You know, that yeah. one's invasive, so you could kill that one. Um, that might be controversial the, the, for people to hear. I was in another state when this happened, and they, shortly thereafter, were alerted to the fact that there was this insect and came and took all of my trees and burned them in the street. It was really kind of... <laughs> it was kind of a lot. <laughs> they burned my my trees in the street. It was like a... Like a political, it was like a book burning. It was yeah, really kind yeah, of horrifying to see them. Sucks. Yeah. But uh, you sacrificed something to keep these really nasty beetles from spreading. So and they were killing all the trees in the yeah, area. That's what yeah. they were doing. So so I'm sorry, but you but are a martyr. I think so. You. But bugs are great. Yeah, uh, like like are the great. non-invasive ones are a okay, and there's so many of them. And we talked earlier about these remnants, these remnant yeah. habitats. The biodiversity, like the, the amount of different weird bugs that you will see in a, a, a prairie patch that hasn't been touched for, like, has been barely touched for 10,000 years are, it's incredible. They, they Even in these restorations, they won't move in. Uh, it takes so mm. long for the habitat conditions to be exactly perfect for them to, for these extinct, or these, these endangered bees to sort of have the right burrows and the right kind of root masses and, and moisture conditions. And so if you can find a remnant prairie, there's one that is near the Arboretum that I was in recently, you're just going to see something you've never seen before. And what's hard for me is people don't have a point of reference. These things have been so taken from us. They've been so uh, kept away from our daily lives that when you go in, uh, I went in this, this remnant, I, I'm around plants constantly. I, it, it was foreign to me. I was mm. like, oh, my God, I, I don't know these plants. Like, these are so rare. These bugs are so rare. I, I can't tell you what they are. And so luckily I could sort of, like, lean on knowledge I know that it's a remnant and that these things, once I figure out what they are, are very rare. But if someone saw that, they'd be like, oh, this is just a Some bug. bug. This is just bugs. Bugs. has got to be a million of them. Yeah. <laughs> no, in fact, not. Yeah, there's a lot of rare ones. There's a lot, a lot of really cool, special, beautiful ones. There's a thing called a... Uh, there's a bunch of different of moths called hawk moths that mimic hummingbirds, um, but they also have these weird little shrimpy tails, um, mm-hmm. and they are gorgeous. And some of them have uh, clear wings that you can see through, and they're native to here. Um, and so we talk about milkweed as a plant that you can plant to attract monarch butterflies. It's also a great host plant for like 20 other insects, and that's just milkweed. If you want. Uh, giant swallowtail butterflies, which are these amazingly beautiful butterflies. Then you and need. That's ar- the black one with the blue. That is the black one with the yellow. The yellow, okay. Yeah. Black one with the blue, okay. So we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but the <laughs> giant swallowtail only lays its eggs on our native citrus plants, uh, which are these two shrubs called prickly ash and wafer ash. Hmm. They are not ash trees there are ash shrubs that are citrus and the fruit they make is not inedible or it's it is inedible it's that's not a like orange but it's a citrus it's in that plant, family nonetheless yeah so it, it also would lay its eggs on yeah. a, an orange if that was a native tree to here okay um so if you i was w- w- with my friend once i was like hey i saw these they're amazing caterpillars they look like little snakes Hmm. Uh, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta see this. And I was like, where is there a wafer ash? I can try to find these caterpillars. And he's like, uh, 
behind the jewel on Foster. And so he drove there, and he knew where this one wafer ash was. Uh, and I just wish everyone could do that. It could just be like, I know where the the one tree is, where the one bug is I want to see. Because it's, it's, it, we all have that like capacity right now to learn that. And that's, yeah. just, that's just one bug. And that's, that's uh, you know, my favorite thing is when you find plant people and bird people mm-hmm. and insect people, they know where to find stuff. Oh, oh yeah. this one really strange plant that never is seen. It grows underground and it pops up once I in a while. I love that stuff so like, much. It's only, you can see it in Goose Island or wherever. You know, people will know that this is the season for this plant or when this I, thing. When and I worked at the Field Museum, thing. there was a, a, a moment where, like, oh, if you go to this tree in, in Grant Park right now, you can see a long-eared owl hanging out there. <laughs> we're just like, I remember that on social media yeah. when that was happening. No, it was, yeah. That owl was more famous than anybody in Chicago in that hour because everybody was so excited about this thing. Yeah. And so there's a lot to learn. I wish we had another hour to talk more, but there's a lot to learn, a lot of stuff. So head to the Morton Arboretum, head to the Chicago Park District, head to any of these places we've been talking or about. Or find me on Twitter and Instagram. That's right. Would you like to give out your... Robbie QT. R-O-B-B-I-E-Q-T. The letter Q. Yeah, yes. I'll be sure and share that a link to your Twitter and Instagram Thanks, as well Mom. so people can connect to you as well as to Stephanie Bilkey, who is here tonight from the Audubon Great Lakes, and to Lauren Umack from Chicago Park District. Well, thanks for being with us tonight. Appreciate you. All right, and so this podcast will be ready a little bit later, and I, I'll start tweeting out links into all the things. We talked about a lot of things. That might take me a little while, but give me a day or two. Take I'll tweet time. out take links to all these things tonight. So thanks so much for being with us. We're going to take a break, get your news, all the good stuff, back in just a bit on 720 WGN.